This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Steve Johnson, thanks very much for coming back on Talk Your Book. I know you've got a stock that we're going to dive into, but maybe before that, if you could talk to us a little bit about forager funds management and, and how you guys look to invest. Yeah, great to be back on, Chris. Uh, look, we're, we're value-based uh, managers here in Australia. We run a global fund and uh, Aussie fund well. And our Aussie fund now is some 12 years old. So we've been around a while and through a few cycles. And yeah, I think there's been a lot of debate about it lately. And we'll talk about a stock today that is not your typical value stock, that's for sure, or, or the way people view it. But you know, our, our version of value is we can value those future cash flows and we want to buy things for a substantial discount to what we think it is worth. And you'll see in, in both of our portfolios that encompasses a pretty wide range of stocks that are growing quite quickly to stocks that are generating a lot of cash flow in the near term and paying that out to, to shareholders. So it's a, a pretty broad mix in our portfolio with, the, I guess, the defining theme that we're trying to buy things cheap. And we're generally trying to be aggressively contrarian at the right point in time. Uh, I've talked a lot about that over the past few months, but you know, for me, if I look back over my career, I've made some mistakes trying to be aggressively contrarian all of the time, trying to look for what the market's getting wrong and only invest in those places. And I think we're in a, in a market environment at the moment. That's a perfect example of what I've seen a, a few times already in my career where the market's actually getting most things pretty right. And it's a time to be sensible and diversified in your portfolio and wait for it to give you those uh, more attractive opportunities at some point down the track. And what stock did you want to talk about today? So we're talking about Whisper, and I think it's a really good example of what I'm just talking about. It's about a 3% weighting in our portfolio, and we're pretty enthusiastic about what this business can achieve over the next five to 10 years and, and what that might mean in terms of today's price. But there's risk uh, around that. There's expectation in the price already that this business is going to grow and that profitability is going to increase over time. So I think it's a good example of what we've got a lot of in the portfolio. It's an interesting risk reward at the moment, but... Uh, you know, it's a fairly modest uh, weighting by our standards in, in terms of us running a fairly concentrated portfolio. And for people that haven't heard of Whisper before, what do they do? What's the 10,000 foot view of them? And, and what problem are they trying to solve? Most people probably haven't heard of it unless they've looked at the stock, but I've almost no doubt that you have interacted with this business's product because they run a communications platform for lots of corporates here in Australia and particularly big in the banking sector. So, I guess is a really easy introduction to it. When you log on to your bank site and it says we're going to send you an SMS message with a code in it and you've got to put that code back into the website, it's, it's highly likely that it's Whisper behind the scenes running that technology for them. Uh, they do a lot more than that. It's a communications platform that a business like a bank would use to run email, uh, SMS, WhatsApp messages. Now it's just proliferating in terms of the number of ways that you need to communicate with a, a client. Uh, but they run a platform that lets those businesses uh, plug in and run those things. I'd say they specifically uh, dominate in the, the small up to larger medium-sized businesses that want a really simple off-the-shelf product. It's all based in the cloud. It's easy to use. You don't need a whole heap of training. You drag and drop into established templates for emails and SMSs and all those sorts of things. And 
uh, you can set up a whole heap of different pathways. So I'm trying to deliver a product to a customer, customer's not home, send them a text message, say you weren't home, what do you want to do? Here's your three options, you know, write back one, two or three and we'll, we'll follow up. So they're just trying to automate and do a better job of communicating with customers and you know, particularly, I think, getting away from email and using all these other mediums that we're using these days to communicate. And what geographies do they predominantly operate in? Yeah, it's Asia Pacific uh, dominated at the moment and Australia is a huge part of that. So they've got a, a strong relationship here with Telstra where they pitch together the, the Telstra plus uh, Whisper services and, and they've um, got a, a great business here in Australia. The growth options, which we'll talk about later, they've started in the US recently and they're very um, optimistic and putting a lot of money into growing in that market. I've heard the uh, the US growth story a lot in my career, so I think mm. I need to see it to get really confident about that being a growth angle. At the moment, it's largely um, Australia, New Zealand, Asia pack, uh, but there's no reason the product is not relevant in the rest of the world as well. And looking through their full year results presentation a couple of months ago, I thought the slide that really stood out was the lifetime value uh, to customer acquisition ratio, which was really high. Maybe talk to us about that. Um, just how high that is and if you view that as a, as a really attractive metric. Yeah, look, it's a really important metric in this space because most businesses like this are spending money up front to attract a customer who tends to stay with them for a long period of time. And in, in Whisper's case, they tend to use more and more of the service and spend more and more money. So yeah, there's a whole integration piece, there's a whole sales piece that needs to happen in terms of attracting that client. That costs a lot of money. Whisper puts a lot of money into that. And then that person, that company just generates pretty high margin revenue for a long period of time. So you're seeing it a lot these days. Companies are trying to say, look, we are burning cash at the moment, which Whisper is doing. But you can see here that the value of those clients that we are attracting is many multiples of the amount of cash we're burning trying to acquire them. So it's a super important metric. I'd be really careful about it as well. Every single IT sales deck now has got this crazy lifetime value to customer acquisition mm -hmm. cost ratio. It's something that they can choose what they put into the cost side of things. There's a whole heap of assumptions that go into the value of that client as well. And I'd be skeptical about it because it is a figure that they can uh, make look as attractive as they want really, but it's super important. And, and I think in this business, you've got plenty of evidence in the historical growth and financials that it's costing them a lot less to acquire and, and onboard a customer than, than they're getting uh, in terms of future revenue. So that's the attractive thing about the business for us. We think they can deploy a lot more money into acquiring a lot more customers and that they are going to be worth many multiples of that down the track. And really our investment case is that that keeps happening here at an accelerating rate for another at least five years and probably 10 to 15. And what sort of revenue growth they experienced perhaps say the last 12 months and, and what sort of revenue growth can you, you see them achieving in the next two or three years? Uh, it's about 30% over the past 12 months and I would expect that to hold up for at least the next couple of years. I'd be super disappointed with anything less than 20. Uh, there's a combination of things going on. They report all of the metrics that you need to do this calculation, but they've got a nice pipeline of new customers that they have signed up over the past few years that aren't yet using all of the services or spending the full amount of money that they're going to spend. So I think you've got a, a reasonable amount of baked in revenue growth there just from the customers that they've already got or recently signed. 
and then they they are still attracting very healthy numbers of, of clients as new customers. So the pipeline looks pretty good here in terms of the next few years. You need it to be a longer runway than that to, to make today's share price look really cheap. And we're, we're pretty confident that they're really only scratching the surface in terms of the number of businesses that can use this product. So, you know, I would expect that 30% revenue growth number to last quite a few years yet. And I'd be very disappointed with anything less than 20. And what sort of multiple do they trade on of revenue? Uh, it's about four and a bit times this coming year's revenue that they've guided to. So that's $60 million of revenue. So you're sort of 250 million market cap. There's quite a bit of cash on the balance sheet. So if you looked at the enterprise value, it's a bit of a lower multiple of that. And look, I know a lot of people out there talk about revenue multiples, and I think it's largely a meaningless metric. But if you want to convert it to something, I guess, more more relevant to the amount of cash that you're going to generate, we think ultimately this business can get to something that's making a 20% profit margin. So for every $100 of revenue, it's keeping $20 of um, profits before taxes and, and interest. If you flip that around and you say, okay, four times revenue, and I think the business can be a 20% margin business, that's sort of a, a 20 times what I think would be the, the core profitability of this business today if they weren't spending all of that money trying to grow. And you know, we're hopeful that those margins will, will hit that sort of 20% level over the next four to five years. And the, the trade-off is here, well, if we want to grow faster, the margins are going to be lower. And as long as that investment is at a, at a sensible return, that's pretty attractive to us. So that, that's the way I think about revenue multiples is I try and flip it around to a, well, what's the, the underlying profit margin of this product here and what multiple do I want to pay of, of that? And I, I think, you know, five and six times revenue here probably makes a lot of sense still given the amount of growth that they've got in front of them. And what percentage of that revenue is recurring? And maybe you spoke about customer loyalty before. What's, what's their churn rate as well to give us a bit of a picture? Yeah, so there's a combination of things here in terms of how the, the revenue model works. They, they do get some platform and subscription fees. So if you're a customer, you pay them fees just to be a customer of theirs, but it's largely transaction-based. So the more messages, the more emails that the client sends, the more they get paid. Now, they do call all of that annual recurring revenue, and it is recurring to the extent that businesses need to do marketing and send messages out, and it's reliable and predictable. But it's not like a subscription fee where you know exactly what it's going to be, and it is contingent on the environment out there. So you know, we saw in the early days of COVID as businesses really cut back on things and weren't sure what the world was going to look like, that they can cut back on the amount of messages that they send and that spend as well. So I, I think it's highly sticky. It is recurring, but it is also contingent on the businesses uh, continuing to grow and use their services more and more because it's it's a per message uh, fee and on the SMS side of things, they pay a portion of that across to Telstra or whoever the, the service provider is sending the message. So unlike some software businesses where you might see a 90 or 95% incremental profit margin, so to send another message doesn't cost you anything, with this business, you need to remember that it does have a cost associated with sending those messages for them as well. So it's a, a 65% gross margin business rather than a 90% gross margin business like you might see in some other other software businesses. I, I, don't, I think it's, it's not only sticky, but it's likely to grow in terms of the spend per customer and grow significantly more than the amount of churn that they have every year in terms of customers leaving them as well. 
and they're not far away from profitability. When do you forecast them crossing that Rubicon? Well, I don't really care. To some extent, I think the market gets very, very obsessed with these companies reaching break even. And I think if they get traction in the US and it really starts to work, I would rather them spend more as long as that spend is is turning up in more and more customers. So they start to yeah, get punished I, a lot of the time once they become profitable, don't you reckon? Well, sometimes, yeah. I, I think you've sort of you've seen with zero though, I think proving that you can do it is important. And yeah, yeah I think there's a lot of pressure coming on these cash burning ASX listed companies at the moment, the same is happening in the the US. There's a bit of a, all right, we've been funding this for four or five years here. You show us that this model is actually gonna work in terms of you you hitting that profitability level. Uh, There's a company called Elmo listed on the ASX as well. It's burning very, very significant amounts of cash. And, you know, just this last six to 12 months, the share price has really cratered uh, on the back of, well, you're just going to keep asking us for more and more money here. So mm-hmm. I think for me, we're in a position here where Whisper's got about 50 million of cash on its balance sheet. It did an equity raise fairly recently. I think the message from us and probably from other investors has been that's that's the last that we want to see in terms of you raising new cash from the market. We want you to show us that this scalability, uh, this profitability is, is within reach in the near future. You know, that could be as soon as 2023. It's not going to be the 2022 financial year, but it could be as soon as 2023, but probably more likely 2024 or 2025. And as I said earlier, I think from my perspective, if we can accelerate the growth by delaying that point further down the track, that's probably a good thing for the valuation rather than a bad thing, as long as you're seeing the outcomes. And you see that $50 million war chest being spent on organic growth opportunities internally or do you see that there being potential bolt-on acquisitions available it's almost all organic and a lot of that is development spend so they've increased the development spend that they want to spend this year from about eight to i think it's 18 million dollars so then the extra 10 million dollars that they're just spending on making the product itself uh better so and then there's an increased sales component to what they're doing as well they see huge opportunities to spend an extra $10 million and achieve all the functionality that they would get from buying something that might cost them hundred or 150. So they plan on doing it organically. And, and my preference would be to see the business go that way as well. It's a, it's a more attractive path from my perspective. And I think managing the acquisitions can often be very difficult. And is there a logical buyer of WSP? Does Telstra eventually uh, right at a check forum or another telco group, or how are you seeing them being a part of potential mergers with, with maybe some, some bigger fish in the industry? I'd say it's far more likely to be one of the largest CRM uh, software providers out there. So if you think about what this product is doing, it's plugging into your core customer relationship system most of the time. So you know, that might be a Salesforce or a Workday or one of these businesses that is trying to do what Whisper's doing very well, but they're also trying to do 20 other things. I think for one of those companies, uh, buying a, a Whisper is is very, very straightforward acquisition. There's actually been a lot of activity in the space. There's a company called Sonata. Uh, we think its technology is quite inferior to what Whisper has got, and it recently got acquired for 10 and 11 times revenue. That's a function of a pretty bullish market out there for these acquisitions, but I do think this is a strategic asset with a lot of clients that someone is 
highly likely to want to buy at some point in time. You know, I, as a shareholder, I would rather that were four or five years down the track. Let's grow this business as fast as we can and get a multiple of much higher revenue rather than uh, worrying about cashing out just now. I'm tipping if someone offered you 10 to 11 times revenue, you'd have the paperwork signed and, and sent back pretty swiftly. What about, what <laughs> well, about I think that? at that price, right, you're getting, you're getting paid for all of that growth already. But if it was six times revenue today, I wouldn't be interested in it because I think we get six times revenue in four or five years' time and the revenue might be three times higher than it is today. Talk to me about one of the heuristics I use is, is skinning the game. When, when CEOs have large shareholdings in their company, um, it's something I naturally really like seeing. I think most investors do. The CEO of Whisper sold a, a big chunk of shares last September. Uh, how do you feel about that concept of management having skin in the game and how have you been able to look through that, that share sale, albeit you know, 12 months ago now or so? Well, I think it's really important uh, and especially for a business like this. So the, the managing director here is Jeremy Wells and he's a very important part of you know, starting this business from scratch and, and growing it to what it's become today. So... I think we, we need him around and he's super important. Uh, he's still got $25 million or whatever it is invested in the business. I don't like it is the short answer. Uh, I think there's plenty of excuses and plenty of reasons for it all of the time. You know, this company's not paying any dividends. He's invested his whole life into growing the business to what it is today. He didn't take money off the table at the time of the IPO. So, you know, these people always turn around and say, well, I, I need some cash to live my life here and uh, I want to take some money off the table. If you look back September last year, the share price was much higher than it was, is today. It was a pretty opportunistic time for him to do what he did. Uh, so for me, it's a, it's a, a negative in, in terms of the setup here. And I still am a little bit jury out about the, well, alignment is important as long as it's the right person that you're aligned with. And, and I think the management team here's got a, a job to do in terms of firming up the market's confidence in their ability to execute on the opportunity that's in front of them. Uh, they just appointed a new CFO recently. That's the third CFO they've had since they listed a few years back. That makes people, including me, uh, nervous. And I'd say in my conversations with him, the growth side of things is very, very clear. He knows exactly what he needs to do and he's very focused on growing his business very quickly. In terms of how much do we need to spend, what's the cost side of the business need to look like, what's the model going to look like in five or six years' time? It, this is just a personal view, but it's been less clear to me that they know exactly exactly what the end game is here. So, you know, he's a he's the right person to grow this business rapidly over the next few years. And then I think both he and the shareholders need to sit down and say, well, is this the right person to run the efficient cash generative whisper of maybe five or six years time? Um, it, it, it may well be a different person at that point in time. And I think, you know, it's something that we'll be watching very closely over the next couple of years as well. Beautiful. It's a good place as any to, uh, to finish. So thanks very much, Steve. Look forward to uh, watching Whisper's progress and uh, hopefully speaking to you again in the not too distant future. Great, Chris. Good to be on. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. 
please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets. 